All right. Tonight we've got um, three different passages of scripture. First one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of the manifestations, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Then Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So Christ, gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And 1 Peter 4, um, verses 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, Thanks for congratulations and and prayers and so on. Uh, I, I felt I should say, just before I pray, that I'm not... By being here today with my uh, Felix being born earlier today, I'm not meaning to set any kind of precedence that that's, that that's kind of what every dad should do or something. You know, he should be back at work later that day. It's just uh, purely that Felix decided to mess around our plans. And it was kind of like, well, what do we do? You know, like someone's going to uh, preach. Uh, what are we going to do? And thanks for that. So uh, here I am, uh, not because it's kind of recommended practice, just because that's the way it worked out for us today. So I'm thankful to be here. Uh, Let's pray uh, before we uh, look at this topic, uh, Gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Our great Father, uh, we thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus. We thank you that uh, he lived, uh, that he died, uh, that he died for our sins. Uh, we praise you, Father, that he didn't stay in the grave, but he was uh, he's risen and exalted, uh, and that he poured out his spirit, uh, that your people, we as your people, might have gifts for the building up of your body, uh, for the glory of his name. And so we pray, Father, this day that you would give us uh, clarity in our thinking about the gifts of the spirit, uh, that we might uh, use our gifts for the good of your people and the glory of your name. Uh, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Sorry, I breathed funny on that thing and it kind of... Uh, 
So we're uh, here at the last week of our series on the Holy Spirit, uh, the fourth of four weeks. And uh, we've spent really a couple of weeks uh, looking at the idea of the gift of the Spirit. Right? That's kind of gift singular. So we've seen that the Holy, uh, through the Holy Spirit, God assures us of his love for us as his children. Uh, that he reminds us of all the, the wonderful privileges that we have as his children. Uh, and last week we saw that God empowers us by the power of his Spirit to bear the fruit of being his children. So that we actually become like him as our Heavenly Father. We, we start to bear the, the family likeness, as it were. Uh, so we've spent these, these couple of weeks looking at the gift of the Spirit, uh, singular. Today we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit. That's plural, just in case uh, you missed it, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and so what I actually wanted to do, it was something slightly you know, unconventional, we don't do this all the time, uh, but I, I wonder if you could turn to a couple of people near you and ask the question, uh, or ask them, what questions come into your mind when you hear the phrase, the gifts of the Spirit? Right? Not, rec- not rhetorical question. Talk to some people around you. Uh, what questions come into your mind when you hear the phrase, the gifts of the Spirit? couple of minutes, I'll call us back together. Okay. Is anyone uh, brave enough to yell out someone else's question that came up? No, it can be, it can be your question. But anyone happy to yell out a question? What questions come into your mind when you hear the phrase, the gifts of the Spirit? How do you know if you've got a gift? Is that what you mean? What's spiritual? Yeah, okay, good question. Yep. Speaking in tongues, yep, yep, big topic, I mean, speaking in tongues, question mark, okay, very good, uh, other questions? Yes, right, well, you should listen to my sermon from last week, yeah, very good, uh, any other questions? Good, good. Yeah, I was hoping for more. Oh, there was a lot of talking for not many questions. Can they be taken away? Yes, yeah, someone over here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do we work it out kind of externally or do we just kind of intuitively know, yeah, I'm really gifted at this or something? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there are a lot more questions that haven't been said. In part, I, got to, I, I know that I don't normally do that. But the, I got you to do that for two reasons. Uh, the first is uh, just to, to draw out that uh, th- while the, the, uh, this is a really fascinating and intriguing topic, it's also a really complicated topic. And I'm sure there are a lot more questions that came up. Uh, and uh, so that's the first thing. Let, let's just acknowledge that it's really quite complicated, uh, which leads to the second thing, which is I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions that you talked about just now today. It's just not going to happen. You know, I could spend uh, 30 minutes talking, uh, 40 minutes talking just about the gift of tongues. Or I could do the same with the gift of prophecy. Uh, we could unpack all the differences between the schools of cessationism and, uh, and continuationism. We, we could do all of that. We could have a six-week series just on spiritual gifts. But today we're not going to answer all of those questions. I, I don't think uh, many of those things would be particularly edifying if I did that today. Uh, and so what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to do my best not to answer all those questions, but the eight questions that hopefully you've got in your Connect card there. Uh, and in doing that, I'm hoping that uh, we'll establish at least a bit of a biblical framework uh, for thinking uh, about spiritual gifts. Uh, and at some point in the future, we might come back in some more detail to some of those other more niche questions. It's not that I won't touch on them at all. I'm happy to talk about them at another time. So here we go. First question, what does it look like to be spiritual? 
What does it look like to be spiritual? It's a good, I think it's a good question because in our culture, isn't it increasingly common for people to say, uh, I'm spiritual but I'm not religious? That's what I, nearly everyone, it's very, very rare to find a hard-nosed atheist, I think. That they are, you, know, you do meet them, but most people would consider themselves to be, at least to some extent, spiritual, but not religious. Uh, by which they mean that they've rejected uh, forms of organised religion. You know, it's too hierarchical, it's too dogmatic, it's too, uh, it's too hypocritical, it's too restrictive. And so they've rejected all, all these forms of organised religion uh, to create for themselves their own custom-fit, individualised spirituality. I'm sure you've had these conversations with people. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's usually, it's got to have a bit of Buddhism, right? But uh, that, that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of the in thing. I, I, I'm a bit sympathetic to Buddhism. Uh, maybe some New Age spirituality, perhaps some pseudo-spiritual self-help stuff uh, that they picked up, right? Uh, maybe there's still a, a little bit of Christian morality thrown in. I don't know what it is, but out pops their own kind of individualized, custom-fit spirituality. Uh, and so they say, I, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. But what does it look like to be spiritual? What does it look like to be spiritual? Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. What does it look like to be spiritual? Looking in verse 1, Paul, uh, Paul says now about the gifts of the Spirit. Right, in saying that, Paul's picking up a question that the Corinthians had written to him about. Uh, if you read through 1 Corinthians, you'll see from chapter 7, verse 1, uh, Paul says in chapter 7, verse 1, Now, uh, for the matters that you wrote to me about. Uh, and so from chapter 7, verse 1, Paul's dealing with a whole series of questions uh, that the church in Corinth had asked him. Uh, and now he's about to address their questions about spiritual gifts. Uh, it says spiritual gifts in the NIV translation that we have, but really that word gifts could be uh, a bit broader than gifts. It's not the same word, for example, that uh, Paul uses in verse 4. It, it's a different word here in verse 1. Uh, it could just be spiritual people, spiritual matters even. Right? So I, I think it's pretty likely that Paul's using the word that the Corinthians used when they wrote to him. The Corinthians said to him, oh, oh, tell us about what does it look like to be a spiritual person. And of course that overlaps with the use of spiritual gifts. We're going to see that. But what does it look like to be spiritual? The Corinthians wanted to know, well, what's the marker? Well, what's the, the key kind of criterion of being spiritual? Well, because some of the Christians in Corinth were claiming that the key marker of being spiritual was having a particular spiritual gift, you see, the, the gift of tongues. It was mentioned before. It's a, a fascinating gift. It causes lots of intrigue. So the people in Corinth were saying uh, the key marker of being spiritual was having the gift of tongues, uh, or at least some of them were, uh, and they were saying that this kind of sets us apart from all the other Christians in Corinth. It, it was those Christians that were the really spiritual ones, the super spiritual ones. Uh, so you can imagine that the rest of the Christians in Corinth felt, well, they just felt a little bit second rate. Maybe they were left asking questions. Are, are, we, are we really experiencing the power of God's Spirit or not? Uh, so uh, aware, Paul's aware of all that going on. 
uh, aware that the Corinthians are perhaps showing a a little bit of ignorance when it comes to spiritual gifts, what does he do? In verse 2, he reminds them of something that they absolutely are not ignorant about, right? Their own past. You you might be ignorant about gifts, but you're not ignorant about your own past. Look in verse 2. Paul says, you know, well, you know about this. You're not ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, that's not perhaps technically pagans as we might use it today, like someone's pagan in terms of their spirituality. It has some connotations, but pagan here is really just someone who's from the nations, the Gentiles, a non-Jewish unbeliever. right? So so when these guys were pagans, Paul says, somehow or other, uh, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. In verse 2, Paul's reminding the Corinthians that even when they were pagans, they considered themselves to be spiritual. In a real sense, they were spiritual. Right? They were influenced by, evils, uh, by spiritual forces. You see that there. Uh, but he's very clear between verses 2 and 3 that they weren't influenced by the Holy Spirit uh, of the one true God, uh, but they were influenced by evil spirits. Evil spirits that kind of lurk behind the false gods of the Roman world. And maybe you think that's a bit intense when Paul refers to mute idols. I'm saying that he's associating them with demonic spirits, evil spirits. But you can chase that up if you like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just a couple of chapters before this, verses 19 to 21, Paul makes that connection very clear. And so Paul's saying that before these, uh, the Corinthians became Christians, they would have gone to the temples, they would have worshipped the idols, and in that sense they were uh, having fellowship with evil spirits, not with the Holy Spirit of God, but with evil spirits. And in that context, verse 3, uh, exposing themselves to these evil spiritual forces, they may have even been tempted, or they may have even been led to curse Jesus, to blaspheme Jesus. Jesus be cursed. What's Paul's point? His point is that not all spiritual experiences are equal. Having spiritual experiences, no matter, no matter how powerful they might be, does not mean that you're experiencing the power of God's Spirit. Right? Not all spiritual experiences are, are from God. Look what Paul says in verse 3. The criteria for assessing spiritual experiences, whether whether someone's experiencing the power of God's spirit or or some other spirit, uh, is what that spirit leads them to confess with their mouth. Verse 3. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord uh, except by the Holy Spirit. So those uh, influenced by uh, influenced by the evil spirits, Paul says, that the, the lurk behind these mute idols of the world, uh, they uh, lead them to even blaspheme Jesus. Jesus be cursed. Now they might not literally say that. They might just say you should reject Jesus. Jesus is not the Son of God. Don't follow Jesus. How embarrassing to follow a Savior who was crucified on a cross. The point is, it leads to all sorts of confessions that dishonor Jesus. Uh, But those who are truly experiencing the power of God's Holy Spirit glorify Jesus, saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Uh, Paul's not denying what what Jesus said. You remember Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 21 said, uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Paul's, not, Paul's not disagreeing with Jesus. right? He's not saying it, uh, it's, that it's enough to kind of cheaply or superficially say Jesus is Lord. You know, I said that once when I was in grade four and I'm kind of covered forever. I must be filled with God's spirit. No, no, no. Uh, but he is saying that truly spiritual people are, are the ones who, who confess Jesus is Lord in such a way that they're committed to living with Jesus as their Lord so that they might bring glory to Jesus as their Lord. That's the thrust here. So it really fits with what we were talking about last week in John chapter 16, verse 14. Remember, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. That's the job of the Spirit. The Spirit is absolutely passionate about glorifying Jesus about putting the spotlight on Jesus, of making people think that Jesus is incredible. That's the role of the Spirit. And so here Paul's saying the person whose heart is genuinely filled with the Spirit will be declaring Jesus is Lord, seeking to live their life to glorify Jesus as Lord. So two applications. The first is if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian because uh, you're in that camp of saying, I've rejected organized religion, but I, I'm still spiritual. Don't tell me I'm not, but I've rejected organized religion. And I can understand that, right? That the, there have been many horrible things done in the name of Christianity. Uh, but still, the fact remains uh, that those who are truly spiritual are those who, by the power of God's Spirit, have been set free from all the false gods of this world to worship the one true God, the Lord Jesus. It's them who are truly spiritual, Paul's saying. It's them who are truly free, who are truly liberated because they're confessing that Jesus is Lord. So if you want to say, I'm spiritual, I want to say, if you want to be truly spiritual, then you must trust in the Lord Jesus to know the power of the Spirit of God in your life. Trusting that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised again to glory, uh, that he lives and reigns as Lord of the universe. And let me encourage you to trust in Jesus if you're here and you're not a Christian. If you're craving something really spiritual in your life. On the other hand, if you're here and you're a Christian, uh, let's affirm that every Christian who confesses and lives and seeks to glorify Jesus as Lord is indeed filled with God's Spirit. Every Christian. You do not have to have a particular spiritual gift, Paul says. It's about what you confess with your mouth. It's about who you want to live for. Now, of course, in Corinth, that gift was the gift of tongues. And there are some Christians today who might still be tempted to say that if you don't have the gift of tongues, uh, you're not really a true Christian. Or whatever they might mean by the gift of tongues. Is it an unknown heavenly language? Like a, a prayer language? Or is it a kind of known earthly language that, that someone supernaturally gets the ability to speak? Or well, whatever they think uh, the gift of tongues might be, uh, the truth is that the gift of tongues is not the marker of being a spiritual person. 
It's not the marker of being a Christian. It might be a marker for some people. But it's not the marker, according to Paul here. The marker is confessing that Jesus is Lord, living with Jesus is Lord, living your life to glorify Jesus is Lord. That's someone whose heart is filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've got to be careful about kind of making any particular spiritual gift preeminent. For the people in Corinth, it was the gift of tongues. Uh, for us, it might be, uh, for people in our church or in the circles I mix in, uh, it might be more likely to be the gift of teaching. You know, we're a Bible church. In the spirit church, they love tongues, you know. Like I'm, I'm, you know. In our church, we love teaching. You know, we're about the word. Uh, so we're tempted uh, probably not to say that if you don't have the gift of teaching, you're, you're not a Christian at all. Uh, but we might be tempted to say that if you don't understand the word in such a way that you can teach it, uh, then you, you still might be a Christian, but you're not particularly useful. You see. And that's also tremendously unhelpful, isn't it? It's just unbiblical. We must be very careful not to elevate any particular gift and say this is the marker of what it means to be spiritual, to be experiencing the power of God's Spirit. No, Paul says the marker is a genuine confession that Jesus is Lord and a commitment to glorifying him as your Lord. Uh, but of course, to, uh, to these people who are genuinely experiencing the power of God's Spirit, Paul does say that God gives them spiritual gifts. Where do the spiritual gifts come from? Verse 4. Let's have a look. Verses 4 to 6. I'll be quicker as these questions on the way through. Don't panic. Uh, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Uh, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So really, in these verses, Paul introduces that the, the theme that goes through the whole rest of the chapter. We're not going to look at the whole chapter, but the key theme in this chapter is really unity and diversity. There's incredible diversity of spiritual gifts that God has given his people, Paul's saying. And he drives that home by repeating that word different all the time. He's like different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of workings. All sorts of different gifts, Paul's saying. And yet there's real unity. And he drives that home by the word same, doesn't he? It's the same spirit who distributes them, the same Lord. We're serving the same God who is at work within us. So there's this incredible diversity of gifts in the church, but all of them given by the same God. The same God, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons, the Christian God. That's what Paul's saying here. That's where the gifts come from. Uh, what, what is a spiritual gift? There's a couple of questions were asked along those lines. What is a spiritual gift. Oh, I think we see th three things uh, in this passage. Uh, the first is that a spiritual gift uh, is a particular manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation. Look in verse 7. Uh, Paul says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, I said last week that, that mostly the Holy Spirit doesn't say, look at me, look at me. Right? The Holy Spirit is uh, very unassuming. 
The Holy Spirit predominantly wants to glorify Christ. You know, look at Christ. Look at Christ. Don't look at me. But this verse is a bit of a corrective to that, isn't it? He's saying that the Holy Spirit does show himself. He does manifest himself in particular ways. And he does that as the people of God use the gifts that they've been given. That's how he manifests himself in the church. A second, a spiritual gift is a gift of God's grace. Verse 4, Paul says there, there are different kinds of gifts. Right, and that word gift, as I said before, it's actually different to the word in verse 1. So I think Paul in verse 4 has switched gears to the, his preferred term. Uh, it's a term that uh, you, might, you might not know, but the, the word here is charismata. Uh, some of you might have heard about uh, a charismatic church. You know, that's where this word comes from. Right? A charismatic church, non-charismatic the, the reality is every church that uh, is kind of filled with the Spirit and has people confessing Jesus is Lord is a charismatic church. And when most, mostly when people say, I'm not charismatic, they mean something different to that. I hope you're charismatic if you're a Christian, because you know, you've got to be filled with the Spirit and confessing Jesus is Lord. But well, I understand that those labels have come to mean different things to what they mean in the Bible. Uh, here, charismatic is, comes from the Greek word for grace, charis. And it's just saying that these, uh, every spiritual gift is a special blessing from God. A special gift from God. And that's important for how we think about spiritual gifts, isn't it? Uh, having, uh, if you identify that you might have a particular spiritual gift, we'll talk about that in a bit, uh, it should never lead you to pride. Well, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me and my gifts. No. They're gifts. You know, spiritual gifts should lead you to humility. Look at God and how, how incredible God is. Not just to save me and make me a part of his people, but then to fill me with his spirit and give me these gifts that would, be, that would actually help other people get to know Jesus and mature in him. What an incredibly gracious God we have. And so with humility we say glory to God. Because every spiritual gift is a gift of his grace. It's a manifestation of his spirit. And it's a, a special empowering of God's spirit. It's a bit hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what this means. But look in verse 11. <coughs> Paul says, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And that word work is a word energio, which is where we get our word energy. So Paul's saying that, that when people are using their spiritual gifts, it's like there's a special, it's like they're energized in a particular way by the power of God's Spirit to bring a unique level of blessing in the lives of God's people. So what's a spiritual gift? You could summarize it. There's other passages, but from this passage you could say it's a manifestation of God's Spirit by God's grace to empower I guess, certain abilities in the life of the church to energize them. Uh, who has these spiritual gifts? Who has them? Well, all Christians. Every Christian who fits the markers of verses 1 to 3, who confesses that Jesus is Lord. Look in verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If you flick down to verse 11, 
Uh, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. So every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, which means all of us have a vital role to play in the building up of God's church. We'll come to that more in a bit. Now, some of you will probably say, and maybe the question was asked before, if you know, like, what if I don't think I've got a spiritual gift? I don't feel like I've got a spiritual gift. Well, I guess the question is, who are you going to trust? Your, what are you going to trust? Your feelings or God's word? That's, I mean, that's not a unique situation to be in. There's lots of situations where we need to trust God's word rather than our feelings. And God's word assures us here that every Christian does have spiritual gifts. In fact, it says here that the sovereign Holy Spirit, right, the third person of the Trinity, has given every Christian the exact gift or the exact set of gifts that he determined. You see that there, verse 11. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. No accidents. Not only does everyone have a gift, but everyone has the exact gifts that the Holy Spirit wants them to have. So every single Christian has these gifts. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's important. Uh, and that means that as a church, we have to value all the gifts that God blesses us with. Uh, that's really the point uh, of the illustration in the second part of chapter 12 uh, about the human body. You can read that later on, but it's not an overly complicated illustration uh, in the sense that every part of our human body plays its role in the healthy functioning of the body. We need all of them, except maybe the appendix. I don't know what the go is with that, but some of you have studied health. Uh, uh, so you know, every part plays its role. Right? In the same way, every gift is needed in the body of Christ. Every person is needed in the body of Christ. We've all got to play our part in building up the body of Christ. And as a church, we must value all the gifts, all the gifts that God has given us. So what are those gifts? What are the spiritual gifts? Well, uh, you might know that there are various lists of gifts in the New Testament. Uh, there's one here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's one in Romans 12. Uh, Mel read one from, uh, or at least part of one from Ephesians chapter 4 and some from 1 Peter chapter 4. Lots of different gifts. Uh, we don't have time to, to go through all those different gifts uh, tonight. Uh, so what I'm going to do is just make three kind of summary observations about the list of gifts. As I said, in the future we might zoom in on some of these gifts more. On the way through we'll talk about some of the specific gifts. Uh, the first kind of summary observation uh, is that none of the lists in the New Testament is exactly the same. Which is interesting. I think it tells us that none of the lists uh, is supposed to be exhaustive. As if these are all the spiritual gifts there could possibly be. That They're really just examples of the kind of gifts that God often gives to his people. Uh, so I don't think the New Testament contains all the spiritual gifts. Uh, I really, in many ways, there are as many spiritual gifts as there are Christians. Uh, so I don't think we should get too hung up on identifying what our gifts are and kind of getting the list of 20 or 25 gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament and laboriously going through them and kind of go, oh, I don't know if I've got any of these, of these gifts, but... These people really appreciate this thing that I do. Maybe that's a gift, but it's not in the New Testament. That's okay. 
right? None of the uh, none of the uh, list uh, is in uh, is exactly the same, which means that they're not exhaustive, uh, and none of the list is in the same order, uh, which means that they're not supposed to be ranked. I think that's important. I mentioned this, but all of the gifts are equally important. Now, some of you might say, well, what about, uh, you know, if you know this part of the 1 Corinthians well, you might say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1? If you've got a Bible, you can flick to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul says there, uh, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Especially, I mean, doesn't that sound like ranking gifts? Prophecy's better than the other gifts. You should desire that more. That's what it kind of sounds like. But, but I don't think Paul's saying that prophecy is inherently better in and of itself than any of the other spiritual gifts. Right? It's, reading it in context, Paul in chapters 12 to 14 is talking about how we use spiritual gifts when we gather as a church like this. Right? The public gathering of God's people. And he's saying in that context, prophecy is to be desired more. Right, prophecy, uh, it, because prophecy involves, uh, sorry, prophecy is uh, to be desired more than the gift of tongues, which the Corinthians were all over, right? And it's to be desired more because it's intelligible words that make sense and that the whole body can benefit from. Everyone can be built up. In contrast, the gift of tongues, Paul says, is unintelligible words unless it's interpreted, and therefore the only person who's built up is the person speaking. So in that context, Paul says, desire prophecy more than tongues, that you might build up the whole body of Christ. What he's not saying is that one gift is inherently more valuable than another one. So no list is exactly the same. So the, the lists aren't supposed to be exhaustive. Uh, no list is in exactly the same order. So we're not supposed to rank gifts. And the third is, which is, we'll touch on some uh, specifics here. The third is that uh, many of the gifts in the New Testament, I think, are pretty hard to define. And therefore, historically and tragically, spiritual gifts have caused a lot of division in the church. Uh, what do I mean by them being hard to define? Well, uh, well take a look. Uh, the, the gifts just in verses uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, say. A message of wisdom and knowledge. What, like, what is that? Clearly, it's some sort of spoken words uh, that have a particular quality of wisdom or knowledge about them. I have not found anyone who really knows what it is. What's the difference between someone who, like me now, if I say something wise... Is that teaching or a message of wisdom? I don't know. A message of, uh, uh, if I'm teaching particular knowledge about the Christian faith, what's the difference between that and this gift of knowledge? No one actually knows. And so I'm just saying they're hard to define. Let's not cause division about things that we don't actually know how to define ourselves. And then there's gifts, uh, gift of, uh, the gift of, uh, what does he call it? The gifts of healing. Oh, I think when we read that, uh, we tend to think about the gift of healing. Or someone perhaps having a whole healing ministry, right? Where they kind of seem to have a kind of a, an incredible strike rate. You know, they just like lay hands on someone and they're just healed. Right? That, that's the gift of healing. 
But what Paul actually says is gifts of healings. Both are plural. But I think it's probably inappropriate to talk about someone having the gift of healing. Even, the, even Paul didn't have the strike rate that some people on TV seem to have. Like Paul, if you read the book of Acts, Paul was able to heal a whole lot of different people. But then in 2 Corinthians 12, he couldn't heal his own thorn in the flesh. In 1 Timothy 5, he couldn't help Timothy with his stomach. And he said, why don't you just have some wine? I mean, if he had the gift of healing, why didn't he just trot on over to Ephesus and lay hands on Timothy? Right? In, in, at the end of Philippians chapter 1, uh, Epaphroditus has a life-threatening sickness when he comes to visit Paul in prison. And Paul says, praise God that he healed him. Not, nothing to do with me. Right, so I, I'm just saying that this, even this, this so-called gift of healing, whatever you think it is, it's a bit more complicated than we often understand it to be. And I think it would be inappropriate to, to think of someone having the gift of healing or a healing ministry in the way many people purport to have. And then there's the gift of prophecy. There's lots of debate about that. Is, uh, is New Testament prophecy the same as prophecy in the Old Testament? If it's not, what are the differences between them? Uh, clearly, whatever is the case, God's word, as we have it, is sufficient both to save and to mature his people. But what are these other gifts, verbal gifts in the life of the church? They're not adding to scripture. We're very clear on that. But what does it look like? Is it gift of prophecy when I'm sitting with someone in a cafe and I feel God lays a verse on my heart to encourage them with? Is that prophecy? I don't know. I don't package it in the same way as my Pentecostal brothers and sisters do and say, there's a word from the Lord for you. I don't tend to do that. It's not my church culture. But is the Spirit operating in the same way? I don't know. My point is that lots of these gifts are really quite hard to define. Many of us are just clutching at straws. And we're left with more questions than answers. And therefore, tragically, I think it is quite tragic that spiritual gifts have caused a whole lot of division in the church. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying, first of all, that you can't find answers to those questions. I've got answers to many of those questions that I raised. Right? I'm just saying we don't have time to explore all those answers. And it is complicated. It is complicated. And it's a real, uh, yeah, it's a real tragedy when the body of Christ is split or people talk poorly about brothers and sisters uh, with regard to these gifts. It's a tragedy because of the purpose of spiritual gifts. And one of the purposes, we'll see in a second, is to bring unity to the body of Christ. Anyway, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Uh, verse 7, chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Uh, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Right, that's the purpose of the Spirit. Uh, the purpose of these spiritual gifts is not for the, the benefit of any particular individual, uh, but for the benefit of the whole body of Christ, for the glory of God, for the common good. Ephesians 4, really briefly. Uh, so that's one purpose in 1 Corinthians 12. There, I think there are four other purposes in Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 11. Uh, Paul says there, So Christ himself... 
uh, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So these are kind of people that that, uh, Christ has gifted to the church. For what purpose? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. Second purpose, gifts are given to equip the body of Christ to do the works of ministry, presumably in the context of their gifts in light of 1 Corinthians 12 and the different parts of the body working together. Uh, What are they using their gifts for? So that, Paul says, the body of Christ may be built up. So that's a third purpose, right? To, To actually build up the body, to help the body to grow. Why, to grow towards what? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So as we're all playing our part, using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, where we're supposed to be being built up uh, towards greater uh, levels of unity uh, in the the great truths of the Christian faith. And not just unity, uh, but maturity. You see, Paul says there, and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So five purposes there for the, for the good of the whole body are to equip the saints, to build them up, to unify them, to mature them. And all of that uh, is an incredible work of God's grace, which is where 1 Peter 4 verse 10 comes in. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, Peter says, uh, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So most of us know that uh, as Christians, we're saved by God's grace. We can't earn our salvation. God must save us as, as a wonderful gift. We're saved by grace. But we perhaps don't think as much uh, about how we need God's grace uh, to be at work in our church each and every day that we might all grow up in Christ. And what Peter's saying here is that the Holy Spirit has given each and every one of you here, if you're a Christian, He's given you a special portion of his grace, not to keep to yourself, but to administer to others. Uh, Peter talks about various forms of God's grace. It's kind of uh, grace in technicolor. Every single Christian having a different portion of God's grace to administer to their brothers and sisters uh, for their good and for the glory of Christ. Uh, Which leads to, to what should we do with our gifts? And, of course, the answer is use them. Use them. 1 Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God has given gifts, so use them. Don't neglect them. Don't use them only for your own benefit, but use them. God has given you grace, so share it with your brothers and sisters, that the whole body of Christ might be built up, might mature, might be unified in the great truths of the faith, and that God would be glorified. And so how do we know what gifts we have? How do you use gifts that you don't know you've got? Uh, Lots of us... uh, 
I mentioned before, you know, getting a list of gifts. And lots of us have had some experience in the church at some point uh, working out our spiritual gifts via survey or, or questionnaire. And even uh, some people who've joined our church, uh, we sometimes give people something called the shape survey. It asks you a whole bunch of questions. And, and I'm not saying that those surveys have no value. Like, well, we obviously use one ourselves. Uh, but they do have limited value, isn't it? Like, I mean, here you are, someone who's got no idea what your gifts are, and you're supposed to be identifying what your gifts are on the questionnaire, right? Like, anyway, like, there's some value, but it's limited. So I want to suggest uh, maybe a better way is to do, uh, what, four things. Uh, pray, ask, serve, and listen. Right? Pray, ask, serve, and listen. I think first we could pray, uh, you could pray, Lord, please show me how I might serve at DPC that the body of Christ might be built up. Lord, please show me how I might serve at DPC uh, that this church might be built up towards unity and maturity in Christ. I think that's a prayer that God would be eager to answer. It's in line with his word. It's in line with the purpose of spiritual gifts. I think God would be eager to answer such a prayer. I'm not saying just pray and then sit in your room and refuse to serve until God, right? But I'm saying let's pray. Pray about it. Right? And then ask. Ask someone who's familiar with the needs of Darabin Presbyterian Church. Uh, ask them, how can I serve? Right? Talk to me. Talk to another pastor or your gospel community leader or a ministry team leader. Ask them, where are the needs in this church? How might I be, uh, be able to benefit this church? And then serve. You, know, you just kind of get busy serving where there's a need. Get busy serving. I mean, there's a reason why 1 Corinthians 13 comes in the middle of chapters 12 and 14, isn't it? It's because of the, the main impulse towards using spiritual gifts should be love for God and his people. And so you see a need and compelled by love, you, you do what you can to meet the need. You serve for the good of the body. And then you listen. You listen, uh, of course, to God. You've asked him to, you've prayed about it. But in particular, you listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You listen to what they're saying about your service. You know, maybe you, you guys, uh, you know, are worried about it. You know, but, uh, uh, the only reason, really, that I'm preaching here today is because at different points along the way, some people said to me, you should keep working on preaching. Now, you guys, are, I'm inflicting it on you now. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but, you know, you can take it up with them. And they said that I should keep doing it. So, but I, I'm saying that as we serve with one another in the body of Christ, often people will say to you, you know, when you, when you were on the sound that day or on the welcoming that day or when you led the service or said those prayers, that was a real blessing to me. They might even say, oh, I think you might have a gift in that. Right? That's a real affirmation. That's how this happens. On the other hand, people might say, it's wonderful that you've been eager to serve in that space and it's great that someone else has come along to fill it so you can serve somewhere else. Yeah. I, I, like I'm saying, there is this process of listening and discernment as we, as we kind of work out what our gifts are and serve where we can most edify the body. So that's my suggestion. Don't know what your gifts are? Pray, ask, serve, listen. So I guess the upshot is, I don't have to tell you 
uh, that our church and the church as a whole is not the finished product. Right? Every church, including our own, is a work in progress. And the way that the church is going to keep growing, uh, in the way that God intends towards unity and maturity in the faith, is through all of us. It's through all of us using the spiritual gifts that God has given us by his grace. So please, uh, do this work. Uh, Be encouraged, first of all, that you're a valued member of our church community, that you've got an important role to play. And please uh, do the work of trying to find out what that role might be. Pray, ask, serve, listen. That each individual in our church might grow and that our whole church might grow towards maturity in Christ. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Our Father, we thank you that we can uh, meet this day. We thank you for your grace to us, uh, not just in saving us uh, by uh, the death of your Son, uh, but in making us your children, uh, filling us with your Spirit, that we might uh, be assured of your love, that we might be reminded of all the wonderful blessings and privileges that we have as your children, uh, and that we might be used by you uh, to see your whole uh, family growing up in the faith. Uh, Please, Father, uh, help us uh, to identify what our own gifts are as we pray, as we have conversations, as we get busy serving, compelled by the love of Christ, and as we listen to our brothers and sisters. Uh, Please, Father, uh, raise up people of, of many and varied gifts, all the gifts that we need. Help us to be thankful for all the gifts. And we pray that uh, you would uh, bear great fruit in our midst uh, through all the gifts that you've given us uh, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.